0: Good morning, good evening, good night, wherever and whenever you are. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is Understood Properly with Brian Thornton, and today we are going to finish the conversation that I started last week. It's about immigration largely, and um, this basically starts with, why why do people move from one place to another, as well as a talk about nation states and a few other ideas. So without further ado, let's get into it. All right, where was I? This is this is where I'm trying to move us to, right? We're trying to move beyond this political soup, this political thinking struper, superstructure that works very well to get somebody elected, but doesn't work really well if we want to actually address and fix issues. And I think I was, I think I left off the last part by um, by talking about like, you know, there's a reason why people ha- are uncomfortable with immigration. First off. citizens, individuals, however you want to classify them, have always had issues with large immigrant populations. More specifically, this is really, to the extent that it exists, is not analogous, I would argue, to anything that has really happened in the past, unless, if we go farther back than like 150 years, and I'm sure there are historians out there who um, who, who could disagree with me, but let's think... I'm trying to think of, I've actually been trying to figure out where, where, like, where do we start if we want to talk about the idea of immigration, right? And some people will point out that, you know, the term immigrant, you know, like immigration itself is like, is a political term. And it is to a large extent because it really just has to do with, you know, people going from one area to another and then that area being under a different, like, government's control. And so that's what, that's really what causes the issue, right? Nobody has a problem if you move from New York to California, Nobody has a problem if you move from California to Texas, although they don't really like that down there. They think there's too many people and they're going to change the government, and they're probably right. So here in the United States, this massive country of 330 million people, we understand that you should be able to move to any other state, no problem. But if somebody comes from, say, Mexico or somebody comes from, say, Canada, you might take issue with that. Okay, so there's something there's there's a certain extent to that. There's something that we need to clear up, and it's this idea of a nation state. A nation state is the current model that most people, uh, most most uh, important people at least, would agree with is the basis for our uh, current global political situation. Nation state, what's that? Well, it you know it differs from a city state, right? The state is an inst- the institution within a society that has a monopoly on force. And so we have had, at different points in human history, different different levels to which that state operates. So, you know, the, there's a city-state, right? This was, Athens was a city-state, Sparta was a city-state, Rome was a city-state. It's the idea that this monopoly on force is centralized to a specific city, you know, and this could be a metropolis, this could be a city that's a little bit larger than something like, I don't know, I don't even know how big spokane washington is but that's the one that just popped into my head for whatever reason it's the idea that this 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 authority this monopoly of force is centered within a specific city and that has expanded to what we call the nation state so a nation i think this becomes a little more complicated as to what refer what what do we refer to as a nation right sometimes people will say that this is a group of people Sometimes it is, you know, this could be a specific ethnic group, a racial group, some combination thereof, right? You know, it's a little bit easier if we think of like the English nation state, right? As opposed to the American nation state because America is such a large and diverse country from its inception that it, I, I think I think it makes it problematic, the idea to, of what a nation is. But generally speaking, we can understand this as being a, a nation of people or peoples. That is held, that is overseen, controlled, we might say, by a singular central government. And this central government, while located in one city, is representative, to the extent that it can be, of a larger geographic area. The different areas of, what was, uh, I'm trying to think of some of the places that Athens, some of the other cities. Did Athens control Thebes? Let's say Athens control Thebes and if I have some sort of ancient Greek historian listening to this, they're probably banging their head right now, but the people, the citizens of Thebes didn't have, no, Thebes was a competing city. city. I'm just going to go with the one that first popped in my head. The Israelites did not have control over Roman politics, right? Really simple to understand. They did not have control over Roman politics whatsoever. Whereas under a nation state model, to whatever extent that we can actually say that it does happen, Hawaii has some control over the U.S. government. Not full control, mind you, not entire control, right? This is the idea of a representative republic is the fact that, you know, people are elected within certain within a certain bound and there's 435 of them. So only a certain number of them can be from Hawaii. And, you know, you can decide for yourself if that's good or bad. I don't that'll be another podcast. I don't want to get too far off the track. So we start with this idea of a nation state. And this is, you know, organizations like the U.N. This is what we recognize as being the basic governing unit of our current global makeup okay and this is why people have a problem if you cross over a line from one place to another okay i I think that's i think that's fair that's i've i've tried to set up the terms i'm trying not to let any i'm trying not you know even though it's in the back of my head i'm trying not to let any like you know radical libertarian critiques come into play here which cuz I do think it's important to question the existence of these institutions in and of themselves for the sake of our argument today that is superfluous and frankly not something I want to do by myself I should probably do that with another person because otherwise I'll just get off on a tangent so we start with this idea of a nation state we start with this we start with this idea that there is a Generally speaking, a large geographic area or a smaller geographic area depends. Specifically within the United States, we're talking about a large geographic area. And people from a geographic area across the line that we say is ours, so to speak, can't come here without our permission. Some people would call this an extension of private property rights. I wouldn't agree with that but I think private property rights really clears this up but this is this is the situation that we find ourselves in okay so now we have to ask ourselves the question before we mind you all I've st- all, all I've done is establish here the fact that there are nation states and there are people within those states and that sometimes people want to cross the line that divides but that divides the two of them sometimes people want to cross the line that that seems that seems fair enough right sometimes you want to move sometimes you want to go on vacation and go look in a new area this is a very simple thing and the fact that we're so rich and you know have so much luxury and we live in such a complex and connected world that this is entirely possible to do because in fact even if you wanted to move even if you wanted to go visit another places it wasn't possible for people for a long period of time so and yet states and nations have existed for longer than we've been able to do this easily. Okay. So now here's the question. Why is it that people would want to move from one nation state into another? And I don't think this is a very difficult question. And there's, and then there's, there's a few major reasons that I think you can point to that, 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 precipitates a mass migration of people. And here's one other thing that we have to do here. We have to separate the American versus the European experience with this because I do think that they're caused by similar aspects but but slight but but different ones. What causes a mass migration of people? Cuz you know, one person comes across every now and then, nobody nobody's going to get that up in arms, right? The reason why people are so upset and actually we're going to get into that a little bit later so I don't, want, I don't want to get off track because I want to move us through this as systematically as possible to try and help us all think about it better people will move from one from across one side of the line to another or just in general take, take the lines out of the equation actually let's do that they will do it because the land they live on is uninhabitable for one reason or another how do they do that? They make a value judgment. There can be causal reasons for this. And remember, the reason why I said it's a value judgment is very, is very very specific. It's because value is subjective fundamentally. This is the insight of the Austrian school. This is the marginal revolution in economics. Value judgments are subjective to the individual. Try as we might, I don't think it's possible to make an objective, an objective value judgment. We can come to a consensus about what a proper value judgment is, but that's not the same thing as having an objective value judgment, especially when we're talking about this. So what are the reasons that people would think, make make a subjective value judgment, that the land that they currently reside on is no longer inhabitable? Well, very simple. It could literally be uninhabitable. It could literally be the case that you can no longer farm the land because some pestilence has swept through it. That, that seems pretty logical, and in fact, it's been a reason for migratory movements of people, birds, animals, so on and so forth. Okay, so there's one reason. Um, how about war? War is a great reason for why people would get up and leave, and in fact, this is where we get the term refugees. Refugees being distinguished from migrants, by the way, guys. People can be displaced by war. And so they can shoot, they can, if, you know, their house is getting bombed or, you know, if we're going back in time, burned down constantly. They might decide to move their village or just move in general to another city. Maybe a city that can offer them protection. Maybe a city that's out of the way and ha- or has natural protection. Okay, so war, pestilence. What's another reason? Now we kind of, those are the two big ones, I would say. Those are the two big ones going back historically. That's what causes a lot of people to move, and then there's a third one. There's a third one that is, um, and you know, war, and or just, and more generally, maybe violence, because now we have to, now we have to kind of bring ourselves out of this state of nature, like basic mindset that I've kind of been working through, and we have to talk about more complex societies. So maybe there's gang violence. Maybe there's, um, maybe you just got bad people, because again, we're just talking about people from moving one place to another, right? We're not talking about them crossing any borders you move from one province to another maybe it's because you're trying to get away from someone who's treating you poorly maybe it's because you yeah you know maybe because there's a criminal gang that's that's tearing up your store or, i don't know taking you out okay and then so that that's still violence and i would say that kind of falls under the war thing because war is violence how about another one how about the chance for better opportunity which really comes which kind of does trace back to the other ones because you know better opportunity tends to follow from that that you're going to have less violence and more stuff and so you know no pestilence so to speak more metaphorically than physical in that in that sense okay i think i think no oh, i don't know well this is this is why doing these by myself can be tricky sometimes i think i've laid out at least three large reasons and as i've shown there's subdivisions within them as to why people would maybe move from one place to another they can they're trying to be safer they're trying to be they're trying to be able to sustain themselves for one reason or another and in our comp- in our complex world this doesn't just mean that the land itself is literally uninhabitable that it's you know without nutrient that you can't grow anything because of course we live in a world of amazon where things can get delivered to you what else beyond that is a reason why somebody's going to move from one place to another because they want to live a better life and this might this might sound off i guess i suppose to people who fall on different sides of this issue but I, again i'm trying to like let's put ourselves in the mindset shall we of somebody who's willing to pick up and move from one place to another why do i want to move out of the state of illinois where i live because I want to make more money, and if I move to another state, I have, less, I have less of a tax burden, and I therefore would make more money if I get paid the same than I get paid now. I want to remove that from my life. That's one of the reasons why I'd like to move out of the state of Illinois. The logic of this choice holds true whether I am somebody who grew up in the western suburbs of Chicago or whether I'm somebody who grew up in Guatemala or Nicaragua. Costa Costa Rica, Mexico, Panama, it doesn't matter. Brazil, Argentina, Cuba where my grandparents came from, Ireland where my other ancestors came from. That's the reason why they came and where did they come? They came to America. Okay, so now I got to talk about a symbol. And the symbol we're going to talk about is the Statue of Liberty and this is usually where people will go, right? The the poem and I don't know the entire poem, but the only point, the only one that the only part that anyone ever remembers is give me your tired, your poor and your huddled masses yearning to be free and i think those are the most important parts of those words and i think we misunderstand what freedom is by and large so i don't know i think i've done a pretty good job of laying out what causes people or mass mass amounts of people to move at at one given point in time and so now what you'd have to do to figure out whether or not i'm justified or not is to in fact look at mass migrations of history and i think i'm pretty i think i'm pretty well supported in that I don't think this is a particularly contentious point that I've made so far okay so I think I've done a good job of explaining what could be understood as the quote-unquote immigrant position they're trying to figure out how to move from a to a better state of being and I think by moving from this place to that place that that will happen for better or for worse so where do we go from there well I think I want to move quite simply into the way that the political frame, the the political debate is framed. This is the political debate. And this is seemingly for whatever reason, a constant, a constant back and forth between opened and closed borders. Never have you, I mean, you might've heard about like sob stories of like, Oh, you know, I, uh, let me put on my politician voice. I have with me a man sitting next to me, Jose, and he's an undocumented worker. He's from a poor town in Mexico. And he came to this country with nothing but a vision, an idea for his family. That one day they would be able to live the American dream. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm trying to understand the logic of why people actually do things. And just because, again, politicians exploit that doesn't make it not true. Just because we use words that aren't supposed to be used in a certain way doesn't mean that we're trying to say something else. That didn't make any sense. <laughs> Sorry. What I'm trying to get at is just because you, you just because people are using words that you think are supposed to be bad doesn't mean they're actually doing anything bad. Because now I want to move to the other side of this. The other side of this. Let's talk about the people. So we so I've I've done a pretty good job of understanding the mindset of people who are moving from one place who have made the decision to move from one place to another. Let's talk about the people who are in the other place. So you live in a well-functioning society, city, whatever that that works pretty well. You have a nice job, you have a nice environment under which um, you have you have a good you live under a good environment where you are safe, healthy, happy. You want for very little, and you know you, you do you do pretty well for yourself. And suddenly somebody else wants to come in and, you know, be a part of that. Well, see, this is, this is kind of, this is a little bit difficult to me because why, why is that a problem? Well, it's a problem if they're coming onto your land specifically, right? But if we understand that there's private property and that I own this and you own that and we both agree to that, that's not an issue. And of course, I think a lot of times that is what it is, what is at issue. So the one side of the argument, if we're going to look at this within the political realm, and again, I think if you don't start by understanding the person who wants to move from one place to another first, then you can't understand the issue at all. Because it becomes apparent, I don't even, you know what, I don't even want to talk about the open versus closed border thing, because that's what I'm like trying to do, and I keep like jumping back because I really don't, because I think it's stupid. I think it's ridiculous that this is the way that the debate is framed by most quote-unquote smart people. I think it's I think it's ridiculous both the point the the purpose of it is a wedge issue the purpose of it is to divide people like I was talking about in the uh, in the last episode that's what its purpose is its purpose is not to make the world a better place it's meant to divide people because the fact of the matter is if if people if politicians wanted to solve the issue if they wanted to have some bipartisan agreement that would make things better it would have happened 30 40 years ago. But they don't, and the fact of the matter is, Americans haven't. In that, in that we've ranked our value judgment, and that polls have ranked the value judgments of like where Americans place immigration, they don't place it that high. And I think the reason for that is that the immigrant, the idea of the immigrant, is is, is commonplace throughout American history by the nature of its existence. And this is why I said specifically, this is one of the specific reasons why we have to separate the American from the European conversation of this, because America as in not to say there hasn't been a nativist drive within American politics and within American society, because of course there has. But by and but they lost, right? The Irish came in, the Italians came in, now the Mexicans are coming in. Where I think the issue is and this is this is what I've heard expressed to me, is that, oh well they're coming in and They're bringing their bad cultural norms and they're not integrating within society, Brian. Don't you understand? Don't you see they're not integrating within society? It's like, okay. I mean, I don't think that the Irish and the Italians integrated all that well. You know, they didn't become good—most of them didn't become good Protestants. And I know that might seem arcane for people to say, but it's important to remember as to how important that was merely a hundred years ago. How much that defined people's existence. The issue itself, I believe, is complicated. And it's complicated by a few realities. It's complicated by, I don't know, I was gonna say it's complicated by the welfare state, but that's so obvious. that That's not the point I was trying to get to. Why, remember, I started this by asking why do people move from one place to another? I don't think it's that hard to figure it out. I think I did a decent job of laying that out. Okay, so we've set up these things. Why is it that these people are moving now? That's the next question that we have to start to answer. Why is it that they're moving now? What is actually happening in these areas? If you haven't paid attention, the Mexican I'm recording this on like the second of July, um, the Mexican federal elections just changed, and a uh, who what's who's being described as a far left populist won the election. Uh, Mexico does not have a very free economy. It does not. And not that the US is, is, the U.S. is decent, but we're also just really rich, right? You know, we have a pretty high regulatory burden. But at least we have oil companies. Mexico, doesn't ha- Mexico has a nationalized oil company. The Mexican government has done a pretty good job of oppressing their people, I would argue. They don't have a very good government. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that they can't have a good government because the cartels tend to run things and tend to run cities and people. I saw something like 300 maybe, that could be wrong, maybe it's 130, I still think that's a lot, politicians were killed in Mexico during this election cycle, I read a story about one town that went from like six candidates for mayor to two, you think both those people were going to get in line after the rest of the people they were running against died, were killed violently, yeah, that's a pretty big thing isn't it, okay, okay, so there hasn't been the ability for mexican society mexican what you know the mexican culture we might say to have stable and functioning governments on top of that they haven't been very keen on adapting laissez faire economic principles that would allow for the accumulation of wealth within the hands of individuals and then wealth can, that capital can then be invested back into the economy and you know progressively make things better and better and better okay these are all true things, by the way. I don't think these are particularly contentious statements to make. But specifically, the cartels, I think, have a lot to do with this. And I'm speaking specifically about Mexico because I know the most about it. I don't know as much about Nicaragua, about Guatemala, but I do, and Honduras and other places in there. But I do know that there are similar things that happen. We've sold, the American government has sold weapons to the cartels. The American government has helped funnel their drugs into the country. The American government has fought them in doing the same thing. They've done both. They've played both sides. And my point is this, and it's a point that you will hear me make a lot, but that's because I I think it deserves to be said, and this is again where we need to start our understanding before we can even come close to figuring out what the quote-unquote best solution for immigration is. We've engaged in propping up and funding. Not we. Not we. Not we. And I made that I, I make that rhetorical mistake just as much as anybody else. The government, the United States federal government specifically, but, but a lot of the states too, have done more to contribute to the crisis at the border than any one political party could have hoped. And in fact, it has been both political parties. And this isn't what aboutism, because this is a systematic critique of the system in and of itself. Both parties have done a tremendous job of contributing to this. And in fact, that that's their point. They want to. Why? Because they want to be tough on drugs. Because some idiot a hundred years ago, somebody long dead, got it up their crotch that it was a good idea to tell people what substances they can and couldn't take. And we've kept it through to today, and yeah, I'm talking about the drug war. Here is a literal war that the government is raging that is causing people to—I don't want to use the word flood—that are for—that are causing people to mo- go thousands of miles, thousands of miles from their home, hundreds of miles, maybe, maybe it's only twenty. I don't, I, I don't. The distance, the distance, things only makes it more real to me that people are willing to go these distances. And yeah, okay. You know, this is where this is where the critics of somebody this is where the quote-unquote closed border people would come in and say, "Well, yeah, they're just coming here for the welfare." Look, maybe you're right, but look, I want to I want to end the welfare state, so you know, I want to end the war on poverty just as much as I want to end the war on drugs. I see that as a tougher sell in the current climate, which is why I'm focusing on the war on drugs. And you really only see libertarians making this point you really only see liberals understood properly making this point that it's policies like the drug war that contribute to this and i'm not saying that by ending the drug war we're going to stop the migration problem into the united states because i don't think that stops it but like i said in the piece that's the that that might be the start that might be where we have to start because as I laid it out, I don't think there's anything particularly malicious about what people are trying to do by coming here. And again, and, and by the way, if you get, if you end the drug war, that, that ends, because in, in my little setup of things, I, you're right, I didn't, to the pe- to the person saying it in their heads right now, or maybe said it back there, you're not talking about the drug runners. Well, yeah, of course I'm not. Because, like, that should just be like any other comer- that any other transaction, and and the idea that we have that we need to create a black market the idea that the government has created a black market for drugs i find to be abhorrent i think it's a violation of rights i think we violate millions of people's rights every single day by throwing them in cages because of it there's a lot more to be said on this issue but again i'd like to think over the past two episodes, I've managed to, at least, at the very least, you know, this is very common in everything that I've ever done. Expression and understanding the backseat of a stranger's mind. I'm trying to show you my thinking of things in the hopes that it can help you think through things clearer, or, even better, you can help me think clear by calling to question something I've said. So, that's where I'm going to leave this today. I've already done in about an hour on this. I'm gonna split this up into two. I've, I've split this up into two episodes. I hope you enjoyed both of them. Um, I hope it gave you something to think about. I'd really love it if you wrote to me and told me about it. You can send me an email, brian at SubversiveLiberty.org. Send me a personal message on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. Call me if you have my number. I really hope you do because I this isn't something that I have completely figured out. And I think it's important that we have more voices out there saying that. There's a lot of people who, um, have made it their mission in life to have the answers to everything. And that, that, I think that, I think one of the reasons for that is it makes people feel safe. And so if, you know, if you turn on the news and you know, that person you like is going to have a hot take on it and they're already going to have the opinions put out and then you can just regurgitate that. And then you can create a political thing. You can, you can just think politically about it. You know, like this is why this law and order, right. And you know, I didn't even talk about any of those ideas in this, right. And I've, and I've already done an hour <laughs> and you're telling me there isn't more to say than what can fit into that little bumper sticker of a conversation I highlighted in that piece I wrote. Anyway, I, I mean, obviously you're listening to this, so you at least agree somewhat with what I have to say, or at the very least find it interesting. So without further ado, you can follow me on all forms of social media at Brian Thornton jr. That's T H O R N T O N Thornton, like a thorn in your side. You can go to subversiveliberty.org slash subscribe to find us everywhere. Please like and rate the show. If you could do me the, the the strongest of favors, please share it with one person. That's all I'm asking. Share it with one person that you know who might find it interesting. If you're a family member, share it with like two of my cousins. I have a lot of them. Some of them at least should subscribe. <laughs> I really hope you guys enjoyed this. Again, please reach out. Let me know what you think about it. I would. I hope to continue this conversation further talks with people. Um, I hope to maybe even have people who, you know, like one closed border, one open border person and see what we can do as far as mediating the situation. And remember, if we fear what we do not understand, the answer must be to try to understand everything. So I hope you have a good morning, a good evening and good night.